in the beginning, God created. He said, let there be light, and there was light, and it was good. On the sixth day, a unique creature was made, human. Unlike the other animals, we were created in His image, meant to reflect His light, His love unto the world. And we received the breath of God. And here lies the greatest mystery of all. We were created to house the Holy Spirit, to be temples for the living God. We exist to worship God, serve Him, to bow down to His Lordship. Tasked with ruling the earth, we're called to bear fruit in keeping with His Spirit, to multiply more disciples. We represent our King in all things, and we were given a garden, and it was perfect. Everything we needed. We even took walks with God in the cool of the day. How cool is that? To take walks with God. The instructions were clear. Care for the garden. Steward it. Why? Because it's His, not yours. Everything belongs to God. We are but stewards. Had one rule. You could eat of any tree in this garden except one. That tree is holy, which means it's set apart for God's purposes. Why? Because we often learn this one truth about love. Love requires boundaries. We learned lessons in the garden that were amazing. I mean, we were given the task to name the animals. It seems like a mundane thing, but it's not because come to find out, your words... They matter. They speak life or death. Identity. What you say and how you say it truly matters. And we learned you weren't meant to do life alone. You were created for community, for intimacy, vulnerable, transparent relationships where we are naked and unafraid. but there is an enemy. God has an enemy, and He speaks lies and plants seeds of doubt in us all the time. And He asks questions like, did God really say that? Isn't God holding back? I mean, do you really take God's words seriously? Because, man, He's ripping you off. Truth is, you could be like Him. You can be a God. And so we ate from the tree. Things went dark after that. The music stopped. Silence is loud. Shame, guilt, fear entered the garden. And from that silence came a disparaging question. Adam, where are you? 
Where are you? Because for the first time, we were disconnected from Him, hiding from God and hiding from each other. We were created to house the very Spirit of God inside of us, and now we were just empty vessels, left alone. And our message was very, very, very clear. Not your will, God. Mine. Not yours. Mine. I will be the master of my own domain. And so we were banished from the garden. No more tree of life, only work and toil remained for us. And apart from God, we grew increasingly angry, violent. We shook our fist at God and lived any way we wanted, and God had to intervene. So he flooded the earth, everything in it, all of it. He let one family live. They would start over. But sin would continue even after the flood. Told to fill the earth, to scatter, to multiply, they stayed in one place, made a city, built a tower. They were of one tongue, and in defiance with this tower, they said, we will build something that's higher even than the floodwaters because we are in charge of our destiny. We will make our way to God. Our will be done. So God confused their languages and scattered them across the earth. Why? God's will. God's way. Lest we forget. And in scattering, we refused to worship our Creator. We built idols of stone, metal, clay, whatever it was. We bowed down to them instead. We made our own stories, our own narratives. We lived by it. But in the midst of this sin, rebellion, us turning our backs on God, He never turned His backs on us. And he had a plan. That plan started with a man who he said, destroy your idols. Leave your family. Go where I tell you to go. And that's exactly what Abraham did. But God tested him. He said, you have to sacrifice your son. But Abraham obeyed. And at the last minute, God stopped him, and he provided a substitute. But then written in stone, in the midst of our story, was this truth we must always cling to. Yes, a sacrifice is needed. A son must be given. A substitute will be provided. God is in control. And with Abraham's faith and his obedience came a promise, a seed, just one. A seed will bless the entire earth. 
And out of that will come a people, a people that will bear his name, a people named Israel, a unique group that struggle with God and struggle with mankind, but have overcome. But even this people, this unique people of God, many years later would find themselves in slavery as well. Because you know what we find out? There are forces at work in this world that seek to enslave and oppress God's people. And they still exist today. But God would intervene. He'd send a man. Send him to Pharaoh with a simple message. Let my people go. But God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and Pharaoh refused to let them go. And so, with God's mighty hand and his outstretched arm, he led them out of Egypt into the promised land. And we learn another truth to which we must cling to. For only by the blood of a Passover lamb can we be set free from slavery and led to the promised land. Only by the blood of a Passover lamb. On the way there, God and his people, they had a covenant ceremony where they received ten rules of life. Love God. Love each other. The prophets would speak, there is coming a future king. God would raise up a dynasty. And and, and from this dynasty, from the legacy of this king, a child would be born. And for this child, the government would be upon his shoulders. But God warned Israel, comfort causes arrogance. Arrogance leads to forgetfulness. You will worship other gods, and they did. You are to remain pure. Do not blend yourself with other cultures, with unbelievers, but they did. They ignored the warnings. They disobeyed their Sabbaths. They turned their backs on God. And once again, they found themselves in slavery, destroyed, and God had to intervene, and he sent help. But guess what? Once again, they'd find themselves destroyed, only to have to have God intervene. But guess what? Once again, they'd find themselves destroyed, only to have God intervene. And the cycle went on and on and on, and it continues. All the while, the prophets declared, a king is coming, a savior is near. When the time was right, as the prophets had calculated, after a long silence, a child was born. A son was given. In him was life, and he was the light of the world. He would remind us of the way of truth. Remind us of who we are. Call us out of slavery. Invite us into his kingdom. Oh, what a great invitation. The king is here. He would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. They would be singing and praising his name, Hosanna to the highest, only to be the exact same group of people that a few days later would reject him. We don't need a king. Give us the thief. We'll take him instead. 
and the night before from a garden, sweating drops of blood would be a prayer that would confront the Garden of Eden with simplicity but power. Not my will, but your will be done. He was arrested, mocked, accused, spit on, beaten. As the prophet said, on him would be placed the iniquity of us all. And they nailed him to a cross. They killed their king. Killed him. But in doing so, he became sin, who knew no sin. And as the prophets rang out hundreds of years before it happened, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace was upon him. By his wounds, we will be healed. By his wounds. And they placed him in a tomb. You'd think the story would end there, but it didn't. Because death couldn't hold him. On the third day, that tomb was empty. The king had risen. The curse had been broken. Sin was forgiven. And we now could be set free from slavery. But this king, many days later, would go back to his father, but not without one final promise. I'm coming back. I will return. Be watching. Be ready. The king is coming. Why do I tell that? And the reason's this. For those who say, Jesus is my rabbi, I rest at his feet, I am a disciple, that's your story. That's the story we share. That's the story we're called into. And the reason I bring it up is this. The story you are living in and the story you are living out is the one that shapes and defines you. And like it or not, every single person in this room is living out some story. And that story is shaping you, either for the good or for evil. All of us are being shaped by something. And it forces me to ask, which story are you living in? Is it the story that says, my will be done? Or his will be done? Because that's the power of the gospel. The gospel interrupts our life. It transforms and it causes us to reflect upon heavenly things. It shifts my attention. It moves my story from me to him. It moves it from inward to outward. Listen. For all that we talk about, understand this one thing. Jesus came back to invite you back into God's story. 
His story. A story that chooses not to live outside the garden anymore. No more it, it's my will that is done. Instead, it is the cry from the garden the night Jesus is to be arrested. Your will be done. Which story are you living in? My will, his will. Because the, the world has a competing story. There's no creation, no creator, no flood, no Tower of Babel, no Abraham. The whole Egypt thing in Exodus, it never happened. We're just told they're, they're cute fables and fairy tales and stories with moral implications just to help us live a better life. But the problem is Jesus talked about them like they actually happened. What do we do with that? And the world tells us you're just one big cosmic accident, a product of chance. It's survival the fittest. You live, you die, that's all there is. Chase happiness at all costs. Live for yourself. But the Bible says you're made for so much more. You're created with meaning, called to a purpose. You exist for God and you exist for others. You're just not, you're not one some big cosmic accident that, that nature rolled the dice and somehow here you are. You're his reflection. As we learned in the garden, you're meant to bear fruit in keeping with his spirit, to make more disciples, to duplicate yourself, that your bodies are the temple for the holy God. Steward your body, for you will one day give an account. Reading and meditating on Scripture like a story like this, it's part of the way of Christ. We're invited into God's story. It's meant to calibrate us, to move us, to understand who we are and why we exist. And it's, it's not just any old ho-hum story. Jesus, that's why he would tell us in John 6, he'd said, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they're full of spirit and life. Life. This book has the words of life. And can I let you in on a little secret? It's a supernatural book. Supernatural, the very words of God meant to shape you into the image of Christ. No other book does that. This book is life, a unified story from the beginning to end that points us to Jesus because He is the son who must be sacrificed. He is our great substitution that God provided. He paid a price that was yours to pay. But I don't want to sit here and tell you to read the Bible. Because I'm being honest, it's a bit like telling my kid to go clean their room. I don't want you to do it out of obligation. I don't want it to be burdensome, chore. 
want you to do it because you love, you thirst for, you ache for the very words of this book. I can give you plenty of data about how many people read the Bible, how many don't. I can give you plenty of data of how that affects their life. It's all out there. They've been looking at it for years. But I don't want to give you cold facts, figures, and data. I can tell you stories I hear constantly how someone will say, yes, I woke up in the morning, I carved this time out, I spent time with God, it has made a huge difference in my life, but I'm not going to tell you those stories either, but they exist. Today, all I want to do is invite you back into God's story. A story about who you are, why you exist, what went wrong, and how to fix it. Because I believe Scripture exists to point you back to God in everything. It's the lighthouse in the fog. It's the north star on a dark night. It is our standard for living in everything. It's the words of life. We're meant to digest them, to marinate in them, to absorb them, to memorize them. That's why you keep seeing this verse show up so many times today in Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so my challenge is simple this week. I want you to carve 15 to 20 minutes out every single day and spend time in Scripture. Listen, I wasn't born yesterday. You got 15 to 20 minutes in your day. Try that on someone else. Carve out the time. Because you need the words of life. And again, not because I asked you or told you to. Do it because you want to. The story we live in is the story you will live out. It shapes you. Every single day you make hundreds of decisions living out that story. And that story either shapes you into Christ's image or it shapes you into the world. As for you, Make your choice. As one other person in the Bible said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray.